Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Kimchi, kombucha, sauerkraut, miso, and kefir. All fermented foods and drinks have been around for centuries, but suddenly they're all the rage, aren't they? The simple reason is that they are packed full of gut-healthy bacteria, and we are finally waking up to just how much the trillions of microorganisms that live in our guts contribute to our mental and physical health. Gut health is now strongly linked to our overall well-being, including weight management, energy, and stress. The thing is, unless you're fermenting foods for yourself, these products are not cheap. Yet at just £1.50 for a 350 gram pot of Yo Valley Kefir, this daily boost high in protein, low in fat, and with natural and fruity flavors to choose from, is in the yogurt aisle at all the major supermarkets. To find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. So you've decided to lose a bit of weight. Naturally, you'd prefer to see the results sooner rather than later. Maybe you've got a big event coming up or certain clothes you're trying to fit into. Regardless, I know you want to lose a lot of weight and you want to lose it now. This is something I hear a lot in my clinic and I hate to break it to you, but shedding the pounds overnight is impossible. Sure, some people will lose weight faster than others, but for the most part... Losing weight requires some smart choices and patience. And with so much said about losing weight online by many whose qualification in nutrition is only an ability to eat, I really do understand it can be hard to sort fact from fiction. And so I'm delighted to have, for the second time on our podcast, Dr. Giles Yeo, a geneticist at the University of Cambridge with nearly 20 years of experience studying obesity and whose latest book dispels the biggest weight loss myths, 
Hello, Giles. Good, good morning, good afternoon. I don't even know what time it is. Thank you for having me, Reed. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming back. Mm. You are one of our repeat guests on Food for Thought, which is very I, exciting. I am honoured. <laughs> well, I would love to start by talking about when, when do we notice a sudden drop on the scale when it comes to weight loss? I think everyone talks about it happening and they feel like it might be an overnight thing sometimes, but mm. that doesn't necessarily mean fat loss, does it? Well, you mean like the immediate weight loss that yeah. you get at the moment? No, it isn't. So no. the actual immediate weight loss is pretty much a loss of glycogen as you use it up. And the interesting thing about glycogen, unlike fat, is that glycogen is very rapidly available fuel, but it's actually not dense at all. And it's wrapped up in water. And I, uh, and so every time you lose glycogen, I think it's something like, I'm going to be proven wrong now. I think it's like three water molecules or something like that to a molecule uh, You're definitely right. Uh, so, and so therefore, actually, most of the weight you're losing is water. In, yeah. that, in that initial overnight to a couple of days phase, you're not burning any fat at all. And that weight will come back on the moment you do. You pick, and it's not, you're not gaining fat. You're just gaining and losing glycogen, but mostly water. It's so good to break that down and explain it because I think that's one of the almost worryingly incentivizing things about fatty diets. It is because there's, oh, you're going to lose the weight. And then and then you, you step, oh, look, I look five pounds. But our weight fluctuates five to six pounds from when we wake up in the morning, we have a little bit of a poo, <laughs> you know, or, or we have a big meal. And it it means absolutely nothing when it comes to the weight the loss of fat mass, which is a far longer process to, to go through. Completely. So I think that's something we should get into straight away. If we're mm. talking about, let's start with calories. Yep. And I know we've discussed this briefly before, but you shouldn't, should you count calories? Should you not from the food you eat every day? Is it all the same? One number's the same as another? Okay. So I think it depends what you are doing with the calorie. Now, uh, my colleagues in Cambridge, for example, have sort of worked out that if you have calories at point of purchase, so you go to a coffee shop and there's a muffin and you say <gasps> 400 calories, it does reduce the likelihood of you buying that muffin and therefore eating it by about 8%. It's Ooh. a weird number. but that, so, it's a, so this is the reason why it's, it's everywhere. But calories per se, counting calories per se, I don't think is useful. In fact, I think it's rubbish. And the reason why I think it's rubbish is because we have to worry where the calories come from. Caloric availability. Now, if you can access the calorie, in other words, you can get it into you and go boom and, and, and use it, then it's equal. But the problem is we cannot access all the calories in the food. And I, the example I always use is 100 calories of sugar and, and you get pretty close to 100 calories. But if you if you have 100 calories of sweet corn mm. and then, you know, you kind of peak in the loo <laughs> the next day and you clearly have absorbed nowhere close to 100 calories of sweet corn. No. Yet if you change that corn into a corn meal, you know, dry it, you know, and then make it into a corn tortilla, suddenly a far greater percentage of calories are made available. Yet when you go to the supermarket and look at the back of the pack, it's 100 calories of sugar, 100 calories of sweet corn, and 100 calories of corn tortilla. So when someone says, ooh, for lunch today, whatever diet you may be on, I, I can only have 400 calories. Okay, 400 of what calories? 400 calories of sugar or 400 calories of celery? And so that's why calorie counting makes no sense. I, I think you've got to know where the cal- what you're eating. We don't mm. eat calories, we eat food. And so I think we just have to understand the food we're eating rather than the calorie counts within the food. 
which you have explained so perfectly. And that analogy that you use with mm. the sweet corn is one I've actually found extremely useful. So thank you. And I think to all of our listeners as well, because we know that for different food groups as well, I mean, do we know that the percentage of caloric availability varies in different food groups? Is that something that we know? Mm. So the caloric, okay, if we keep to the macronutrients, meaning, meaning fat, carbs, and protein, mm. then fat, caloric availability of fat is nearly, in fact, probably 100%, which mm. means, but it's your fuel. So in other words, when you have fat and you have 100 calories of fat, you will get 100 calories out of it. Now, carbs, it depends if we're talking refined mm. sugars, meaning, or you're talking complex. Now, refined carbohydrates are also nearly 100%, probably 99% available, whereas complex carbs, uh, whole you know, starch, is probably 95 the interesting thing is protein. Now, protein is more chemically complex to break down. It just is. Um, and so depending on how you cook the protein, it's only ever 70% available, which means mm. that for every 100 calories of protein you eat, you'll only ever get 70 calories out. So when you look at the back of the pack, it does make it. This is how high protein diets work, actually, one yeah. of the ways where the reason why they work is A, they make you feel fuller. And B, you're actually not absorbing as many calories as you mm. would if you actually ate the other two macronutrients. Which is so fascinating. But equally, something to, I think, point out is that whilst the scientific fact is that protein, you know, you burn more calories to actually break it down, we're not recommending that everyone out there should suddenly go on a high-protein diet, are we? You know, it's not a lifestyle mm. choice for a long time. Well, two things. A, it's it's not necessarily something which is healthy if you go overboard with it. That's the first thing. So I think you've got to use it appropriately. But B, people think when I say protein, I mean meat. Yes. Now, look, um, <laughs> yes, clearly a lot of protein does come from meat, and it's a dense source of protein. But all proteins from tofu, from pulses, from, from, from what have you, will do exactly the same, will have exactly the same effect. It will still take longer to digest. Mm. It will still be 70% available. So don't think just meat. Do the same thing with protein. Do the same thing with beans. It all comes back down to quality of your diet. And there's a lot of buzz at the moment about calorie deficits and energy in, energy out. But it's far too simplistic, isn't it? Like you've just explained, it's focusing on food. We do want to take the emphasis away from numbers because in, in my clinic and in my line of work, if numbers and calorie counting wasn't a really effective tool for so many people, I don't think we'd have the kind of problems that we do have today. The problem with, cal okay, I mean, <laughs> if you count the calories, do you automatically watch what you eat? Probably, all right? And for some people, maybe it's a useful way of just, of just maintaining some yes. kind of balance. But actually, if you begin to count the calories in the minutiae, which a lot of people do, I think it encourages unhealthy eating behavior. And I think, and for a subset of those people, I think can tilt some of them that are more susceptible in, in, into disordered, disordered eating, which is not what we're aiming here. We, we're trying to get everyone to have a healthy relationship with food, eat a little bit less of it, but, <laughs> but, but have a healthy relationship with food. And calorie counting, I, th I really do think is counterproductive. I definitely share your viewpoint there that it can be useful, but it's often taken out of context completely or and mm. someone takes it out of control. Mm. And I think demonizing food groups may have emerged potentially as well from calorie counting or fatty diets like carbohydrates. You just said, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. refined carbohydrates are very different to the very good complex type that we have. Exactly. What about the fiber? Is it fair to demonize carbs, for example? Look, I, 
let's focus on well no it's not at all it's one of our is one of our source fuels in fact it's our base source of fuel carbohydrates right that's yep. because that's what we can access the most frequently it's the stuff that's flying around our blood and it's what we what we use so demonizing it is stupid um really i i, I can't stress that enough now do we and are we eating too much refined carbohydrates okay yes Clearly, that's the case. Okay, well, then we need to kind of sort that out and kind of be um, not evangelical about the way we actually handle it and also understand why and understand the source. Because the other thing as well is there is a difference between having a teaspoon of sugar, okay, and eating a fruit. Yeah. Now, when you eat a fruit, the sugar is exactly the same. People think, oh, it's, it's, it's natural. It's all the same sugar, right? <laughs> but because the fruit comes with fiber and therefore... It slows the release of the sugar. Then you get the benefit of the fiber. It matters where your calories come from. We eat food, not calories. Precisely. Um, an apple is very different to a lollipop. And yes. This is a- <laughs> exactly. Same amount of sugar. You can have exactly yeah. the same amount of sugar. But it's delivery, what, what it is, what else comes with it is very different and should matter. It should. I can't tell you how many people online I see, especially influencers saying, I don't eat any fruit, perhaps creating a, a scaremongering philosophy around food i saw i saw on the um on, on on twitter not that that is necessarily healthy but i saw on twitter that some people are saying "Ooh, you know look the, the zoos now are no longer feeding bananas to to monkeys or something because it's making them fat <gasps> so a couple of things and, and and that is fine for a monkey because the monkeys probably fuel it they are largely herbivores and so yes you can get fat on bananas and but they're using that as an excuse to say that therefore humans shouldn't eat fruit completely misunderstanding the point that because monkeys eat primarily fruit the only way to get a monkey to lose weight is to remove some of some of that fruit right whereas look we eat plenty of other things other than bananas yeah and so and then people saying therefore humans shouldn't eat fruit and it's just, I'm looking at, that's the misinterpretation of what the people are actually trying to do. It's completely ridiculous. Completely. And it makes our job so much harder trying to get a nice, healthy balance. But mm-hmm. I have a big problem with the fact that people don't eat enough fruit and vegetables in the first place. That's right. Before that. So a quick go-to solution, which can be seen as the mm-hmm. answer to losing weight, is cutting the amount you eat. But mm-hmm. does does it work long-term? Is it damaging to actually start reducing the amount you eat for a prolonged period of time? It depends. Do you, are you carrying too much fat? Now, if the answer is, if you are carrying too much fat, and we can get to what does too much fat mean in a bit, Mm. but then you probably do need to lose weight, lose the fat, okay? Yeah. Rather than weight, we need to lose, you need to reduce the amount of fat that you have. Change the wording. Right, which is a very different thing. Um, And pretty much the only way you can do that is to put yourself into calorie deficit for a period of time. Yes. Okay. Now, how long that period how should you put yourself in the caloric deficit? Now, that is all up for debate. It really depends who you are. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think anything extreme will always be counterproductive because the moment you stop your seven-day water fasting diet, which is a thing. Um, scary, that, isn't it? It is a very scary thing. Yeah. Suddenly, of course, the weight's going to come back, back on. And then you're in the court in this toxic yo-yoing effect. I think some people do need to lose fat. And therefore, we need to help them lose fat uh, healthily um, in in a way that doesn't encourage, encourage disordered, disordered yeah. eating. So, yes, at some point, calorie deficit will need to be a of thing. Of course. But it's not a long-term solution. And certainly, you have to do it uh, slowly 
and moderately. People hate the word, but you do yeah. need to use it. Do it People moderately. People do hate the word everything in moderation now. I think we've got to a point where it's actually worrying that I almost feel even discussing that you are allowed to choose to lose weight if you want can be a bit contentious now as well. We've got to a point where we're trying to be very all-inclusive, which is wonderful, but... It's it's your own body at the end of the day. And as you've said, some people would benefit health-wise mm. from losing some fat. Mm. But it's about how you do the calorie deficit. It's the quality of the diet. It's making sure you do it healthily. So you are getting fibre and your bowel movements are That's still right. going. And Doing it in a balanced fashion. Yeah. So in other words, you need, we, when you remove your calories... The easiest way to do it, which is why it's popular, is to remove an entire food group. Precisely. Okay, because it, people find it easier. Yes, it's probably easier to go to a supermarket and not buy carbs. But does it mean it's the best? It certainly is not the best. And yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the best way to do it is to remove a, just to reduce a little bit of everything. Yeah. But that I think is difficult. That doesn't mean it's not true. I know because we both unanimously believe that one size doesn't fit all. We know this is the case. Mm-hmm. So. If this is the case, and we're trying to get this message out there, mm. why are people still falling for these fad diets? Is it that fast weight loss? Is it the way it's marketed? What do you think? I think there's two. Ah, both of it. I think, A, the marketing is very well done in a sense where it is mostly pretty young women. It is mostly pretty young women um, that, that that are selling it. They're the food gurus and, and are selling that. And so it's an attractive package, A, uh, uh, both physically, as well as what the message they're selling, which is, this is the magic way to do it. Look at me, look at my six pack, right? Yeah. And so therefore, if I do this, you look and look like, eat like this and look like me. And so people look at it. And you might think, well, why are people stupid enough to listen? Because there are a lot of people who are carrying too much fat, who are desperate to lose the weight, who are finding it difficult for one reason or the other. A lot of it is going to be down to your biology. And if you are struggling and to lose the weight and you look at this wonderful package and you say, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go for it and I'm going to do it. Now, there are a lot of diets that do work in the short term mm. for some people. This is how they're sold. But how do you then know whether or not it works for you? But a lot of people then buy into it and keep moving from diet to uh, diet. To diet. And actually, the explanation for how these diets work that are being sold on the side of the tin is very seldom the way the diet actually works. Um, and so that is that is a problem. It completely is. And as we both know, somebody that is looking a certain aesthetic or a certain way That's that right. can be appealing doesn't dictate that they're actually healthy themselves. No, it, a, it doesn't, a, it doesn't dictate that they're actually healthy. B, mm-hmm. it could be nothing about their diet. I mean, look, how you look is a... The, the primary thing about how you look are your genes, mm-hmm. A, and your privilege. Okay, yeah. so those two things. Then obviously there's the environment, which is your which is your food. But your genes, and in particular your privilege, influence the type of food that you can get, your understanding about the food, and the amount of time you can spend getting a specific type, getting a specific type of food. And the people who are selling these diets are, by and large, have good genes and are privileged. Yeah. And so you have to take that into account. If you're Mrs. Smith, like seriously, if you're Mrs. Smith... And, you know, you have to work two shifts. you got to feed your kid. Who am I to judge that you got to go to Iceland or somewhere and buy a two ninety nine for for pizza special? Is it healthy? In vertical? Well, no, it's not healthy. But if that is what she has to feed her kids, are we going to judge her for that? I mean, that is just a terrible thing, terrible thing to do. Oh, the judgment out there at mm. the moment is 
It's so destroying. I think a lack of empathy for others, care, understanding that no one chooses to want to be, first of all, overweight, stuck in a vicious cycle. No one chooses to be in that situation of poverty, perhaps, as well. There's so many factors to consider. There's nature, nurture. There's all of it in but one. No, one, no, you're absolutely right that no one chooses no. To, to, to be. And I mean, if you ask, yes, I would prefer to lose weight. I am just finding it difficult for X, yeah. Y, and Z. Mm. And so blaming them and I mean pushing it on personal responsibility which I have to say is at all levels including at the governmental policy levels um, that they're talking about this we need to change the narrative we have to consider this a a problem that it is and it is a problem I'm not Mm. I'm not denying it's it is not a problem Um, but we have to deal with it appropriately sensitively and actually understanding whatever we do and whatever we bring forward has to be evidence-based that it is going to work that it is not doing more harm than it is doing good and and you just have to use those two those two things and and navigate your way around what is a complex subject at the moment people are using um, simplistic approaches to a very complex problem. Yeah. I mean, that's why I wanted you in particular on this podcast, because I like your um, viewpoint on this. I like the way you address the subject. I was at um, FENS, the European Nutrition Conference, last Thursday, and they had a panel discussion on obesity. And we Mm. had an expert basically a scientist saying it is on the individual versus a scientist that says, actually, no, it's just the environment. There were these two polar opposite. It was obviously a heavily debated debate, as you can imagine. Everyone was getting involved in the audience watching. But as we both know, it's in the middle. Yes, of course, it's in the middle. It's ridiculous. And I was just I was kind of despairing, thinking, is this what we're coming to where even some some doctors and health professionals You're believe You're going to have it's... to tell me who these people are after we stop recording. <laughs> you should have been there, Giles. You should have been, I will. You should have been on that panel. But moving on from that mm-hmm. anyway, we know that a couple of years ago, there was quite a lot of discussion around alkaline diets. Um, I still get questions about it, surprisingly, on social media. Could you explain the whole um, reasoning behind people wanting to buy into an alkali lifestyle okay. really so so the <laughs> the alkaline which i'm going to say up front before people start taking notes is yeah. entirely bs thank okay? you so let's start Done. with that now why is it bs <laughs> so the alkaline diet says so we our blood levels are at ph 7.4 okay mm-hmm. now anything above a ph of 7 is alkali anything below a ph of 7 is acidic and so therefore you will notice that our blood levels are slightly alkali but for some reason, people have begun to say that, ooh, if our blood levels are alkali, then the only way to keep it at its alkali level is to eat, in inverted commas, alkali food. Okay? Now, there are two major problems with this argumentation. The first is it ignores the presence of your stomach. Um, and, and your stomach is a pH 1.5 around battery acid. And so whatever you eat, it doesn't matter what pH it was, it will enter the stomach, be acidified because that's just part of the biology, and then neutralize as it enters in the gut. This is biology, right? In essence, really nothing that you eat will change the pH of your blood. Okay, so that's, that's, that, that's the first thing. And so therefore the alkali diet makes absolutely no sense. On top of that, however, is their, the people who invented the diet, their classification of foods. Lemons, lemons are considered <laughs> alkali. Now, I'm sorry, a lemon is a citrus fruit. I think we all know this. Yes. Full of citric acid. I mean, it is acidic. So don't ask me how a lemon suddenly becomes alkali. There are There is a famous 
influencer in the world, which, which shall we not mention so we get ourselves Yeah, I don't sued. think we'll mention the we name. We won't mention the name. <laughs> but, 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 you know, and, and said lady was, mm. uh, I can say she's a lady, uh, was just recently, she, I think she has a London shop, I'm not sure. But anyway, she was yes. in, a, in a photo shoot selling her high pH water, alkali water, yes. next to a bowl of lemons. I know. What's with that? <laughs> Anyway, so 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 that that's the problem of of the of of alkali. Why does everyone? What baffles me is I'm really hoping go for it. Okay, so the go. reason why people buy into it once again this is this has to do with the explanation. Now, if you actually just strip back all of the pseudoscientific BS, yeah, what is an alkali diet? In other words, if you just put them, an alkali diet is a diet actually that's very low in meat, pretty close to being vegan. And as a result, once you cut out so much meat and are eating largely vegetables, you lose weight. It just, mm-hmm. just that's just what happens. And so, people that go on an alkali diet for a really complex explanation in which they have to buy books and and try and and look at what an alkaline fruit is when it isn't, okay, um, and eat it, end up eating more vegetables and less meat. Now, why don't you just sell a vegetarian cookbook, a vegan cookbook, even? Okay, I I, I, I don't mind. Or a eat less meat, eat more veg cookbook. And it would achieve exactly the same thing. Why? Because then it doesn't have a sexy tagline of it being alkaline. No then, magic. No. Then it, no magic. Mm. Then it enters the wonderful world of all the other vegetarian and vegan cookbooks out there. And yeah. so, so that's why people stick to it. It's because it works. Mm. It works because you're eating less meat and more vegetables. Exactly. But the explanation is entirely BS. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, we come down to a kind of question of privilege there. I know we've touched on veganism before, and this wasn't something I was mm-hmm. actually going to bring up today, mm. but it's important to note that it's a lifestyle choice that, yes, there's ethical reasons, sustainability yes. reasons, but it's not something everyone can practically adopt, is it's it? It's not someone. Uh, there is a very big distinction between vegetarianism yeah. and veganism. I think for the large part of human evolution we probably were largely vegetarian mm. if only because if you if there's a chicken producing eggs or a cow producing milk you don't want to kill the golden goose so to speak no. right and so every so often you might have a little bit of meat as a feast food so if you're eating eggs and milk you can do it cheaply it's not a privileged choice to make you can mm. do it now veganism the problem is because you need to make up certain micronutrients which are impossible to get as a vegan okay um, B12, you need yeah. to make up iodine. Yeah. Um, as a result, it is a choice. Now, yeah. for you, for me, look, we're, we're in this podcast. We are privileged. Yeah. I can choose to be vegan. I'm, you know, and I eat, I'm flexitarian. That yeah. sounds like a cop-out. <laughs> no, no, not uh, at all. I think every step for everyone is, is a good one. You a do good what one. you can. But we choose it. I know I'm privileged enough to make that choice. But don't be foisting your privilege on people like yeah. Mrs. Smith who, who cannot afford it, or people no. in other countries who eggs and milk are an absolute critical source of rich, nutrient-dense foods for yeah. them and for their kids. Don't yeah. be waving your privilege around when, you, when, you're, when you're talking about food. Thank you, Giles. I think it's really refreshing to hear that and important. Um, that was an off-topic question oh, sorry. for me. Sorry, no, sorry, sorry. Focus. I think we needed to have it on there. I'm going to bring it back to mm. fat-free and sugar-free products yes. because I think there's still a very large misconception that these are the items that are ideal for weight loss. Mm. Why did these sorts of items appear on the shop shelves and can it actually contribute to weight gain having more fat-free and sugar-free items perhaps? 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, um... I think it started with the fat-free. Pretty much. And um, because people felt that we were eating too much fat, and so the answer is to remove the vast majority of fat. Okay? Now, maybe we were just working our way through what we were supposed to be doing. But when it first started with fat-free, the problem is fat, while in of itself, is unpalatable. You don't eat butter by itself. You don't eat fat by itself. But fat mixed in food makes food taste wonderful. Mm, okay? Amazing. And evolutionarily speaking, we're designed to search out fat, you know, in animal meats, in, in plants and what have you, because it's 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 good and we need and we need the fat. But the moment you remove it from a food, from yogurt, from 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 milk, mm. from what have you, you have to replace it with something else. Otherwise it tastes not so nice. Horrendous. <laughs> and the problem is the in, the early fat-free foods were then chock full of sugar mm. in order to increase the flavor. Okay. So that, that was problem A. And so yeah. what happened was they, re- they removed one uh, a problem, so to speak. They, they cut out one food group and replacing it with then too much sugar. Now people say, well, we've now swung the pendulum all the, all the way to the other side and says, the, you know, it's the white powder. It's the cocaine of the food world. It's sugar. Hmm. Now, once again, if you're starting to remove the stuff, you're replacing it with, with, with something else. And I want to be clear, we need to eat less sugar. Yes. But let's talk about eating less sugar rather than removing it entirely. Um, and fr- and fr- sugar's fr- not the sole cause of the obesity no. crisis. But it's People being think labeled. it is. I know, I know. But it, it isn't. It's no. too much. It's uh, it's too much. In fact, it's the fat and sugar mixed together. It's Precisely. We don't eat sugar by itself. We just seldom do. Yes, we have sweets every so often, but the vast majority of our foods yeah. is food. And so we need to think about reducing the amount of food we're eating improving our diet mm. rather than necessarily yeah. worrying about less fizzy drinks you know more water yes, that kind of yes, stuff and that kind of stuff but that's easy that's that's not a um that's not i don't think that's an extreme or controversial statement well maybe i don't think it is but no we, we probably don't think it but somewhere out there it might be yeah. <laughs> what about um replacing the sugar with sweeteners do you have any thoughts on that mm, i think that's an interesting question um first of all you, you, you know just to be absolutely clear now, there are a lot of things that a lot of uh, people out there saying, oh, sweeteners, they cause cancer with a capital C. Mm. Here's the thing. 
These studies are done pretty much entirely in animals because human beings are not going to allow you to do that to them. That's the first thing. And secondly, it's almost the equivalent of putting like, don't quote me on this, like 100 liters worth of diet soda into the stomach of like a, a rat, okay? So obviously, that's going to be, be, be cancerous. This is not something that we are going to face. So on a day-to-day basis, in the kind of foods that we would face, sweeteners are not going to cause cancer. So that's, that's the first thing. Mm. The tricky thing to think about is, okay, well, but people then worry because it's a chemical. Oh, it's not natural. It's a chemical. Yeah. And that's, once again, that's an, an unhelpful thing to actually do. The only thing to watch... And I'm and 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 the data is not fully there yet. Is because our brain is designed to model the taste of a food with the amount of calories you get. All right, will long if you exclusively eat sugar-free foods or eat a lot of sugar-free foods, does that imbalance of the flavor to the to amount of calories does it begin to change something about the way you might eat or treat food differently? Mm. So. I'm I am perfectly open to say we'll have to see what happens yeah. uh, with the data and everything that's there. It's but really for the moment, but for the moment I do think it is still a useful one of the useful strategies to help people reduce the amount of sugar that that they eat. But once again, mm-hmm. it's it's to be done in moderation. It's not designed to replace sugar. It's designed to be there so that if you choose to have a lollipop or if your kid wishes to have a lollipop, you have the option of not necessarily plying them with sugar. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Well, there's also um, emerging research now on the gut microbiome. Like I think it's Tim Spector leading that. There's so much conflicting, and we just don't know, do we? We need more trials. We, we need, more, need trials. more data. We need high-quality human trials. We do. And so that is the one thing at the moment that is that we desperately need more of. It's fine. You do animal studies because they're easier to do, and, and, and they give you some clues. But at the end of the day, we eat very different things to a mouse yeah. or a rat or, or, or anything else. Yeah. And so these high-quality human studies um, need to be done. And just to let people know, look, you know, you and I are talking about this. Now, if suddenly there, is a high, there are high-quality studies that appear which shows that sweeteners are terrible for you, mm. well, then we're going to say, okay, well, then we were wrong. Exactly. We need to look at the evidence as they appear, assess the evidence as they appear, and make evidence-based decisions. We don't do it based on emotion, based on what people say, uh, uh, um, you know, hearsay. We've got to do it on evidence, otherwise you're giving bad advice. But we should be able to change our mind when new evidence emerges. Thank you for definitely going into detail on that, people. It's really important to everyone listening, and I know I go on about it all the time on this podcast, but the reason we are providing evidence-based information is A, to protect your health, and mm-hmm. Giles and I are not pretending that we're experts in every subject in the world, that there's always science emerging constantly. And I think the last question I have for you, Giles, would be mm. about dietary supplements, yes. actually, before we take questions from listeners. Mm. Now, I see so many people going on these extremely low-calorie diets, but as we've discussed before, the quality isn't there, you know, not doing it quite in the right way, but believing that having an additional supplement may help make up for the lack of nutrients and then B, other supplementation that act as meal replacement products. I see so many of them. And even though we're starting to become more aware that a detox tea is the answer to weight loss, even though people are aware it's not, I'm still seeing them propping up diet pills on the internet. Do you see a lot of this? Do you know where we can go to stop this information coming out? Is there anything we can do? So a couple of things. We'll, we'll just deal with the supplements yeah. first, like vitamin supplements mm. or, or um, in particular. And I think the... 
to cut a long story short initially and then I'll come back and look at it. It was hard sorry, for me sorry, even asking the question. I, I know, it's so I know. complex. Sorry, sorry for the dead air. So 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 the, the 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 short answer is sadly if you can afford to buy the vitamin supplements or any kind of supplements the chances are you don't need it. If you can't afford to buy it then you probably do need it. Yes. And that is that is the tragedy. Okay, wow. this is the tragedy of it, which means that for the vast majority of us, even if we don't have a particularly good diet. Now, if you don't have a good diet and you're not having enough fiber, you got other issues. Okay, if you're having too much fat, too much sugar. But actually, we are getting enough micronutrients even from a relatively poor diet. There are exceptions, okay, and I think iron. I'm sure you, your listeners do know this. Iron for for women, young women in particular, B12 and iodine mm-hmm. for, for omega three. If they omega don't eat omega three, uh, folic acid much. if you're trying to be pregnant. Yes, um, yeah. so, so there are exceptions out there which are evidence backed. Mm. But in terms of supplements, this is not the case. Why has it? Why is it still there? Because people want a shortcut. Because people want to say, well, I'm going to have a crap diet but then have a supplement in order to magically magic the, the, the thing. That's A. That's, that's, one, that's one plausible um, thing over there. And another thing is a lot of these supplements okay, are not medicines, okay? which means they don't have to be regulated like a medicine. They have to be regulated like a food. Mm. So, you know, you get these things. Oh, it's an, it's an ancient herb or something. So in other words, it's been used for thousands of years. As a result, the evidence required to say when you go to a shop and buy paracetamol or ibuprofen, whatever, okay, that there are clinical studies. If it says that this is going to reduce my fever, it has to. Otherwise, you know, whereas for food supplements, vitamins amongst them, you don't have to have that level of, um, um, in fact... There is no, there is no regulation for vitamins. There's no even maximum limits. No. Yes, exactly. So, so there's no regulation for it at all. That's the other reason why. So, in other words, you have a a situation where people are, understandably, um, but wrongly, looking for a shortcut. And B, it's not regulated. And so, it's still the wild west. Uh, uh, out there with regards to food supplementation. Oh, it's so worrying. And just as you were speaking, it was making me think this is why it's also important to get your nutritional advice or Mm. health advice from a professional that's actually studied that area, that knows what they're talking about. The amount of questions I get saying, oh, I really want to give nutrition advice. What's the quickest course I can do? And I'm thinking that defeats the whole object because the reason that you invest your life into studying this, Giles, is because you need that in-depth information that we know there is no regulation, A. We know that things work differently inside everyone's bodies. Um, so, yeah, I could talk about that till the cows come home. So let's move on to questions from our followers today. Let's do this. Catherine has said, I'm trying to lose weight and I'm using the scales to monitor this, but nothing's changing. Should I get rid of them and just go with how I feel? Um, I think it depends. If it's, if it's giving you... Um, if it's, it is making you anxious, then getting rid of it is the way to go. I, I think for some people, and once again, I'm going to give a nuance kind of like mm. neither here nor there on some people think I'm, I'm flipping and flopping, but I'm not. For some people, it is actually very useful because they feel that, well, I'm just watching what I'm doing. And so I can, I can make changes that I need to make. For others, it drives anxiety. You know who you are. You know what you are. If it's making you anxious before you stand on it, 
I think stand on it less or remove it. If you are standing on it in a healthy perspective and going, shoot, you know, and doing, well, then I think you keep it. I don't think there's a black and white answer there. Very good answer. I would agree with that. Lauren has said, I was recently told that my BMI is slightly above average, which is bothering me. How much attention should I be paying to this? Mm, Now, that's the $64 million question. BMI is a very, why is it used? It's used because it's very cheap, in fact, it's free to measure. You just need to know your weight and you need to know your height, Mm. okay? Which is why it's used. And at the population level, undoubtedly, the higher your BMI, the more fat you are typically carrying, Mm. okay? So this is all true. The problem is, as an individual predictor of health, it is notoriously not good. Yes, (laughs) it's bad. (laughs) I mean, if your BMI is very, very high, and you look, I mean, you know, you look at yourself, yes, I may be unhealthy. And there are other measures. This is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Health comes in other measures it other does. than the BMI. So, look, if your BMI is above 25, which is which is what you're probably saying yeah, here. Yeah, slightly above okay, average. Slightly above heard. average, yeah. above tw- 25. Yeah. But you are functional in the sense where you go out, you walk your dog, you do the gardening, you don't feel breathless going up the stairs. Yeah. Well, meh. Right now, I I think if you got all the other symptoms, then it doesn't matter if your BM if your BMI was twenty three, but you're yeah. breathless going up the stairs and are feeling, and your blood pressure is going up, then that's bad for you anyway. Yeah. So the BMI is just a number. It is one of a number of numbers that has to be taken into account to look at your health but you should not use it as the only number to look at your health. Very well explained. And of course, Lauren, if you've got a big muscle mass as well, Mm, that will mean you're heavier Mm -hmm. anyway. So, so many things to consider there. Um, Hattie has said, I've noticed I put on weight a lot easier now than when I was older. Maybe mean when you were younger, I think. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. (laughs) Will this continue to get worse with age? Yeah, you definitely meant when I was younger. (laughs) So, you know, Men are very simple creatures. Hattie doesn't sound like a man. So, so no. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, men are very simple creatures. We're born. We think about food. We think about the other thing. That's yep. about it. Okay. Yep. Now, women, however, are complex creatures um, for all the best things in the world. But they're probably, depending on, on whether or not you choose to have a baby, a woman comes in four flavors. Yes. Okay. They come a woman pre-baby, yep. a woman when they're pregnant, mm-hmm. which is very, very different. You're trying to keep a parasite. Oh I'm, I'm, so I'm a father, but you're trying to keep a parasite. In I'm finding life. it so hard. <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> yeah. Everything changes. A woman post-baby, and yes. we know, for example, there's some women who keep off the baby weight. Sorry, there's some women who can lose the baby weight yes. and others that can't. Biology and a woman post-menopause. Yeah. And all of those are going to be because of ch- huge changes in hormonal levels. Mm. And those are going to influence not only your feeling and your appetite and your behavior towards food, but also, as you get older, where you end up storing your fat. Mm. So it is, without sounding depressing, your age and your weight is something that's linked. It's part of biology. I think there are things you can do to mitigate that, like trying to increase your physical activity every mm. so slightly. Um, but it is part of the normal biology. Whatever it is you see on um, people that look like Madonna or J-Lo, you know, what Think have you. Think of the lifestyle they have. Exactly. <laughs> they got people cooking their food and, yeah. and forcing them to do sit-ups. Listen, yes. so, so yeah, it is part of, nat- it's just the natural thing. Yeah, thank Thank you. And it's so refreshing to hear a man actually acknowledge that females go through this difficult time because our bodies are changing and evolving. And Giles, I'm a nutritionist, yet I've just had beige food for about three months because of the pregnancy. So not everyone's perfect. No, it's it's, very difficult. And there's nothing about beige because once you're pregnant, 
and your internal you become a different species it's Completely. almost if you try to compete for the olympics you'd be then suddenly be all failing drug tests because you're pregnant yeah and it changes the way you behave around food yeah. and it may snap back the moment the baby comes out oh i hope so um <laughs> believe me i don't think i can see another crumpet once i give birth <laughs> it's been a crumpet and toast diet giles the whole way through but we do have a male question Ooh, now yes. Males, yes so marcus has said i feel like i'm doing everything right when it comes to eating a balanced diet but my weight won't budge oh it's a bit of an impossible question marcus what am i doing wrong then what is you're, he doing giles uh, the answer is if your weight won't budge then you're not achieving enough of a caloric deficit yeah. Um, yep. And that's the only that's the only answer. Now, how you do that? That's complex, but mm-hmm. you're not in, you're not achieving enough of a caloric deficit. Yeah, I I would definitely recommend if you can, and I know it's not always an option, but see a health professional that understands the quality of the diet and how to manipulate that for you. It's it's not always as simple as counting the calories yourself, as we discussed earlier. It could be what those calories are made up of that's as well. It. Yep. So we move on to the fact or fiction Let's round. Let's do this. Woo. Okay, so if you could answer fact or fiction to the following. Are you ready? I can see the look of concentration. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Right. Fat contributes more to weight gain than sugar. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is so hard. (laughs) I... I don't know, actually. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think there's... Is there an answer there? It's a bit of a trick, I think. I would just leave that as a... Okay, I'll leave between. that because it depends how much fat you're eating. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. A radical exercise regime is required to lose weight. No. So, so look, I think... Uh, uh, th- Fiction. Um, and, and the reason behind that is because actually exercise per se is not particularly good for weight loss by itself without actually handling food intake. Um because not all of us are Mo Farah or Michael Phelps or what have you. We just don't do that. Um, and so I think it's exercise is very good for weight maintenance after you lose the weight. And here's the critical thing. Even if it doesn't result in a single ounce of weight loss, nothing replaces the benefit of exercise, even if you don't lose anything. Bingo. Um, having breakfast helps stabilize your weight. <laughs> I think it really depends who you are. I think breakfast is the you you know the the food for champions. You have to have breakfast. If you don't have your breakfast, you're gonna die. I think it depends entirely who you are. For some people, breakfast really works for them, and therefore it stops them snacking throughout the day. For other people, you know, I'm not a breakfast eater. For example, I prefer to have my food at lunch. Um, you got to do you. Um, so no, it's uh, fiction. Hundred percent. Carbs make you put on weight. Depends how much carbs you're eating. If you if you have three and kilos, oh, I know exactly. If you have three kilos of pasta, yes, you're gonna gain weight. Yeah. Um, but no, not you know. I think fiction. <laughs> Some foods speed up your metabolism. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, I I think the all foods speed up your metabolism. Interestingly enough, because you have to start digesting the food. But there are certain chemicals within food such as caffeine will speed up your metabolism ever so ever so slightly temporarily um but i would not say that this is i'm going to eat this because it makes me more metabolically active i don't think that's true all and food will speed up your metabolism yeah and for everyone listening metabolism is just how you break down food that's so it. let's just, it's a, so yeah. fiction fiction foods labeled low fat or reduced fat are always a healthy choice fiction cutting out all snacks can help you lose weight fiction because what's a snack Apple, celery, yeah. you know, and even if it's a even if it's a treat snack, no fiction. Exactly, probiotics can help you lose weight. Help you lose weight? 
uh, fiction. I think it, d- it depends what kind of probiotics, how much actually gets through you, and is it healthier for you? Even that is up for discussion, probably mm. is. Um, but uh, lose weight? N- no, you still got to eat less. Drinking lots of water helps you lose weight. Nope. Skipping meals is a good way to lose weight. Depends on who you are. Entirely depends on who you are. I mean, some people love the intermittent fasting thing, for example, and it works for them and they do it healthily. I went on an intermittent fasting diet for a while. I, I hated it. Hated it. I, the two days that you're supposed to eat less or, or, or not yeah, at yeah, all, yeah. I was miserable. Yeah. And and that's then the other five days you were supposed to go whoop, whoop. I then spent the other five days being stressed about how miserable I was going to be for those two days. So for me, I hated it. For some people, they love it. That's the end of our fact or fiction round. <laughs> that was really good. I think I tried to make them deliberately more controversial than last time for you, Giles. So right. Thank you. Okay. Um, so that nearly wraps up this episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today would be that we know, as we've said, non-evidence-based diets are everywhere and they're trying to convince you that you'll lose weight quickly in a healthy manner when in fact actually the opposite's true. As Giles said at the very beginning, remember that glycogen loss. It's not really weight or fat rather, it's just water. So there simply aren't any quick fixes. And if you see statements that suggest otherwise, then it's almost certainly too good to be true. So please remember that diets just don't really work. They may work short term, but they don't have kind of a longevity aspect to them in diet culture. That's how they tend to be sold. So our bodies are as unique as our personalities. That is my favorite phrase. And each of us should strive to find a way of eating that works for us individually. Giles and I have said that we're, you know, firm believers at getting back to basics and keeping nutrition simple, but understanding that it's actually a complex thing for you at the same time is probably the best way to maintain a healthy weight and lifestyle. Now, Giles, if you could leave everyone with one food for thought today, it could be related to anything that you think will really benefit the listeners. What would that be? So I don't know if I did this the last time. So if I'm sorry if it's the same thing again, I can I can do I do it. It's about why why is it bad to carry too much fat? Okay, so so I mean because we talk about it all the time, people have a misunderstanding that when you actually are uh, gain weight or lose weight, you gain or lose fat cells, and as a result, you hate the fat cell because you're trying to get rid of it. Untrue. Your fat cells are like balloons. They get bigger when you gain weight and you get smaller when you lose weight. Now, here's the thing. The safest place to store fat is in your fat cell, okay? Because that's it's its job. It's when it comes out of the fat cell and goes to your muscle, your liver, other places that then you become ill, okay? But not everybody's fat cells can store the same amount of fat. And so some people can store a lot of fat. And so therefore, you end up with someone larger, okay, carrying more fat, but yet still healthy. Others... Famously, South Asians, East Asians, such as myself, we can't carry as much weight as someone who's white as a Polynesian mm. because our safe fat carrying capacity is lower. So I could be skinnier, okay, or, or lower BMI, but be more unhealthy than someone who has a higher BMI because my ability to store fat is different to someone else. So in a big room, there is going to be health at very many sizes. But, and this is the big but, in an individual, there is no fat at every size. You just have to get past your safe fat carrying capacity and you will become ill. So I think we need to get around just not, uh, simple numbers. We need to understand the complexity of how we actually store fat to fully understand our health. Wow. That's blown my mind. Giles, I think everyone's going to have taken so much away from this episode. Thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach those higher highs in the charts and to help more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.